morning uh, my name's tom uh, with unlucky frog gaming i'm going to be your host for today's uh panel uh today we have got walks the walk the onyx path um and we're joined by uh, some esteemed guests which i'm going to allow to introduce themselves momentarily um so uh, basically the format of today's panel uh, we're going to open up with some questions um and then we're going to throw out to you if you've got questions that you wish to ask as well of our uh, panelists so i'm going to give our panelists an opportunity now to introduce themselves and tell us a bit about themselves and some of the things that they've done uh, and i'm going to start with the person to my left which is you matthew would you like to introduce yourself please hello my name is matthew dawkins i am the creative strategist at onyx path publishing which uh, basically means i oversee a bunch of game lines and people uh including the they came from series the scion series uh the world of darkness series of games and I dabble in various others. I freelance for Onyx Path, among other companies. And yeah, I've been role-playing now since, well, longer than I care to imagine. Thank you very much. And next? Yeah, my name's John Burke. I'm the token Scotsman at Onyx Path. <laughs> um, and I've been working mainly on They Came From and Vampire games, but I've also done Werewolf the Forsaken um, and a lot of Dark Era stuff. Um, generally right, but I have developed a vampire book for Onyx Path too. Um, called Forbidden Religions, which you should buy because I will make no money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And next, uh, hello, I'm Michele Mazzara, and uh, as they often say, I'm the Italian one. <laughs> I worked on the Chronicles of Darkness from Mummy the Curse Second Edition. I wrote for Werewolf the Apocalypse on the Apocalyptic Records, and uh, I also became uh, an acquisition for the They Came From line. I wrote several supplements for that, and I pitched and co-developed uh, they came from the cyclops scale which is based on fantasy mages and such i also wrote for scion trinity continuum and uh, basically anything onyx path allows me to do prolific <laughs> and last but not least all right uh i'm kim darwin uh i'm an american uh <coughs> please don't hold it against me uh so i i'm just the newest of the freelancers up up here uh i worked on uh, they came from Classified, they came from Cyclops' Cave. I worked on uh, Forgotten Ones and Forbidden Orders for the Mage 20 anniversary, uh, the uh, Lord of the Traditions Kickstarter. Um, I'm also working on uh, Training Continuum Aberrant. I'm on three books for that. I worked on Aether, I'm working on Aegis, and a couple of other ones that we haven't quite got to yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aegis we can talk about that. Uh, yeah. we, talk about, uh, yeah. we deal with a lot of games. <laughs> at Onyx Path, uh, that you know, sometimes we give more games more focus than others, depending on what we're pushing uh, and what our focus tends to be. Uh, but yeah, uh, all three of my colleagues here have been excellent writers and collaborators, uh, not in a you know quizzling sense. <laughs> and uh, probably didn't need to mention that now. God, that's <laughs> awful. Cut the mic. You made it awkward. Yes, we're not to mention the war. Uh, but yes, uh, it's uh, it's always a great joy to come to Tabletop Scotland. This isn't our first time, not my first time anyway. And yeah, we just we do enjoy hearing what the customers, what the fans, our role players think of the games we work on. So when it comes to Q&A, do feel free to ask anything about any of our books. If we can, we will do our best to answer. Thank you very much. That's great. Okay, so start with the obvious, perhaps. So Onyx Paths recently celebrated 10 years as a company, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, you published things such as Scarred Lands, Scion Exalted, the came from uh, that they came from series that you mentioned. So what's kind of next on the horizon for you guys? Well, so the next big uh, crowdfunding campaigns we've got planned are for Scion God, which is the, uh, well, as the name implies, it is the godly edition of Scion which goes from origin to hero to demigod to god so now you're actually going to be playing gods and that it is not a small project uh, I think anyone with any role playing experience knows when you get to high levels of power in games things tend to break down uh, mostly because you either level enemies with the protagonists and therefore you don't feel special or you don't and the protagonists feel so overwhelmingly powerful there's no challenge. Uh, God is a rare 
rare case where we, we spent quite a lot of time really making it elegant, I think is the best word for it, where the game allows you to play gods, allows you to feel like gods, change the world around you, shepherd followings, uh, build a pantheon, topple the gods who you might be replacing. So if you're, for instance, a member of the Theoi, Zeus is the head of the pantheon, well, maybe you want to be the god of uh, thunder, storms, and creation now. So time to have a fight with Zeus, uh, which can be as simple as duking it out on a cloud or on a high street or sending masses of followers in armies against each other. It covers a lot of tiers of play. We've also got uh, another crowdfunding campaign coming up for one of the Exalted books, Exalted 3rd Edition, uh, which I'm by no means an expert on, but some of my colleagues might be I think to. that the next one is going to be Sagiris. Yes, I believe you are correct. Because um, Exalted just keeps growing and its fan base is very, well, fanatical. <laughs> Uh, they they love uh, the game and I can't fault them for that. So we keep putting games out because they enjoy them. Have but you just finished uh, the uh, Exigence uh, Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, not so uh, long we did, ago. Uh, Aether, yeah. Uh, and yeah, meanwhile we keep expanding the They Came From line, the Trinity Continuum line, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> we have an awful lot of 20th anniversary products. Despite the fact the 20th anniversary editions uh, came out up to 10 years ago, maybe longer, uh, for Werewolf and Mage. So, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot going on. We okay. keep busy. Excellent. Sounds awesome. Uh, play quite a few of those games myself, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes with those. Okay, um, so next question. Um, we've seen quite a few of the They Came From series, and obviously you mentioned quite a few of them in your introductions. Uh, we've had From the Sea, The Grave, Classified, The Cyclops C Cave. Is there plans for more in that line? And can you give anything away about what that might be? Yeah. John, talk about Danger Zone. <laughs> <laughs> they came from the Danger Zone. Okay. Yes. My favourite. Is effectively, uh, they came from based on my favourite films, which are the cheesiest of action movies <laughs> starring the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jean-Claude Van Damme and those sorts of things. And it is a cavalcade of cheesy action, which makes no sense whatsoever, but is hilarious to perform. Um, and it covers everything from your kind of more sort of romantic, dramatic kind of Michael Douglas kind of stuff, as I say, all the way through to the running man and the sort of total brain dead, nonsense. kill everyone in the room nonsense that you could <laughs> possibly encounter. Um, and like all they came from games will remain always the most fun you'll have sitting at a table playing a role playing game. Yeah. Because it's just designed to be fun. I think they're going to veer into sort of the Austin Powers territory <laughs> potentially <laughs> as well. Yeah, we do a fair amount of Austin Powers pastiche and classified, yeah. uh, but it certainly appears in Danger Zone as well. Do, do you remember the five archetypes in Danger Zone? Let's test the panelists. <laughs> Who remembers the playable archetypes we in Danger Zone? We had a clone, cyborg, combat specialist, and I forget what the other one was. Uh, martial the artists one? Yeah, yeah it's it combat the master. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Combat the commando. The commando. The, oh, the commando. 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 And cop. The humble cop. I'm a cop, you idiot. <laughs> Get to the chopper. <laughs> it's just an excuse to write a game with lots of Schwarzenegger quotes. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. the we followed a pattern for the for the archetype uh, naming this time. Yes. They yeah, they yeah. Then the John Carpenter and um, Stallone. Uh, Stallone uh, also Van Damme also inserted themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's. I mean, the most popular part of the they came from game seems to be from my vantage as the sort of overall developer, the usage of quick one-liners as game mechanics. And really, from a cinematic basis, that originated with Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So the fact that we've followed this path from 1950s B-movies with Beneath the Sea, all the way through Hammer Horror in Beyond the Grave, and Classified with Espionage, Cyclops' Cave with Fantasy and Sword and Sorcery, now we're action movies and it's kind of like returning home yeah. it, it was a very easy book i think all of us wrote on it yeah. mm -hmm. yes uh it was a very easy book to write because it's just silly and fun look forward to seeing that it looks like you're uh, you're all quite passionate about it so it should be a good one uh okay cool um so what about uh the chronicles of darkness line are there any plans in that vein along the vampire werewolf mage etc uh, do you want to talk about Chronicles of Darkness, Vitaly? Uh, the upcoming books for the Chronicles of Darkness, uh, we are we have just released uh, for the backers, so it's coming soon for the rest of everyone. 
the uh, uh, rather big expansion from for Changel in the last uh, second edition we released Kith and Kin, which is a loads of player option uh, with some fa favorites from uh, first edition like the draconic option making a return and plenty more so that's was a really good book to receive as a backer in there and we also released uh, another uh, Kickstarter goal for Mummy the Curse, so that will also come very soon, which is the Book of Lasting Death, which is more a different kind of mummies, uh, more powers and more options. These are, uh, the humble way to put it is the companions for the course, but I often find that those tend to be uh, the best supplements for each line. Uh, these sort of player's guide uh, always deliver across the years. And I think uh, the Tomb of the Pentacle for Mage the, the Awakening 2nd edition yeah, is um, coming rather soon. Mage the Awakening fans are similar to Exalted fans <laughs> in their hunger for books. And Which I, is fitting. I, yeah, I don't, I don't blame them. Uh, I mean, it's the hubris of being a mage, I guess, uh, that just makes them want more and more power. But uh, Tome of the Pentacle is a book that's been in development for a while, too long, uh, and we are now moving forward with it. And it's so. So part of the reason it's taken a while is because, quite frankly, Mage is a very difficult game to write. Uh, it is. It's a hard game to write. It's a hard game to develop. Uh, it it's has a lot of. It contains a lot of detail that is, by any definition, arcane. Mm -hmm. Unless you're a fan of Mage, and that's not me trying to put off the casual roleplay because there's plenty in Mage to enjoy. But that meant Tome of the Pentacle was under the stewardship of developers and writers who were really passionate about the game line, wanted to get it right, they were given the time to do so. We're now getting the art in for it. So yeah, Tome of the Pentacles coming out for Mage. We've got more Changeling the Lost coming out too, into the form of the Hedge, uh, which allows you to visit Arcadia oh and the lovely realms of the True Fae, uh, because they're such nice people. <laughs> and uh, I think there's also uh, the Clade Companion for Devin. Yes, Deviant. Deviant's got more coming out. I think Hunter the Vigil may have more coming out for it as well. So there's, there is Chronicles of Darkness uh, releases on the schedule. Uh, a few people have asked, you know, when are we going to see more core books for the Chronicles of Darkness? And right now the focus is to basically deliver what we've already promised um, yep. for the existing lines. Ultimately, the Chronicles of Darkness, much like the World of Darkness, is a licensed product. Uh, we license it from Paradox Interactive, who have been very generous with allowing us to create everything we've been able to create so far. Uh, but it is also down to them to how many more books we can create. Okay. So we can pitch things, and we may think we've got the best ideas in the world, but unless they approve them, we can only work on the things we've already got yep. scheduled. So that kind of ties into my, my next question, and perhaps one you'll be able to answer quite quickly, I imagine. But so obviously the the older World of Darkness books, so things like Masquerade, they're now with Renegade, uh, and uh, rather than yourselves, are they are they product lines that you're looking potentially to work with in the future or do anything with in the future? Or are they kind of are they left outside now, or is that waiting to see if you maybe get some permissions down the road? Oh yeah, well for fifth edition, it's a it, right now Renegade are I guess what you'd consider the primary licensee in that. If Paradox wants source books made and they're not making them themselves, they'll ask Renegade to do it. And right now they are tightly controlling what goes into Vampire books mm -hmm. and presumably Hunter the Reckoning books as well. And so they're only wanting to deal with one company. And we've had a very good run with it. You know, we can't complain about yeah. the. We've released uh, something like six, seven V5 books. We released a lot of V20 books. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I. From a business standpoint, if we suddenly got an offer to release a new big V5 book or a Werewolf 5th edition book or something like that, I'm pretty damn certain we'd take it seriously <laughs> because it, they make a decent amount of money in an industry that doesn't tend to make a massive amount of money. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's something, again, we can pitch for and sort of throw a line out for. But I think it's fair to say World of Darkness right now isn't out in our sort of, I guess, forward direction. What we're really hammering on is Trinity, Scion, they came from, to a lesser extent, st Scarred Lands. Um, 
and Pugmire as well, uh, I'd put in there. Pugmire, Monarchies of Mal, they're very popular for her. Uh, but yeah, World of Darkness, and seeing that Renegade are very happily shepherding that line, um, it, it wouldn't make too much sense for us to suddenly start you know, pulling books from them, unless we were asked to. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we touched on obviously a few of the lines there. What other um, cool stuff are you working on, uh, either within the Onyx Path or even without it, if you've got other works going on at the moment? Kim, you can talk about the world below. Mm. No, we haven't spoken at, at all about the world below at a convention yet. Uh, yes, so the world below is a post-apocalyptic setting. So the world above, something horrible has happened. We don't know what exactly has happened because going up there equals death. People go up and they die. So in the world beneath, uh, the deeper you go, the cleaner the water, the cleaner the air, um, the better the resources. But by being below, the strata in which you exist has changed you and morphed you from what was before to after. So the concepts of time are different now because uh, you don't have a day and night cycle. You, s you either uh, wander in the darkness or you survive by the glow of sunflies or the illumination of, fu of, uh, of fungi or whatever's beneath, um, unless you've been mutated by the chaos, which is, the, I guess, the magic of what's beneath uh, and twisted in ways that you can uh, now exist in, in the darkness without a torch or something like that. So there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, so it's, it's fan, it it's I like to think of it as like a body horror type of game, but it's a it's a survival game. It's a horror. It's community building. There's a lot of different things because the people that live in the below weren't the things that existed there from the beginning. There was things that already lived there, and the people from above have now moved in. So you're dealing with a little bit of colonization because it's like if you have to work together to survive. Do you trust these outsiders? Do you work with them? Do you displace them? And what if you displace them, what happens? Or what do you happen when you come across the ruins of a civilization? What other things are lurking down there? Because things are living down there and breathing and uh, breeding. So it's like, so now you gotta deal with whatever creatures are living down there and being mutated from whatever is leaking from above. So there's lots of cool things. There's a we have magic, we have uh, combat, we have a lot of cool body horror stuff. Lots of giant bugs. All lots of giant place. bugs. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's Shades of Hollow Knight if you're familiar with the video game. Uh, to it in the subterranean setting. Uh, I mean, uh, I can certainly speak for two of us on the panel when I say we are huge fans of Hollow Knight. And uh, there's a certain sort of J.G. Ballard class struggle dystopian side to it where the closer you are to the surface the more room you have but the worse the resources you have the lower down you get the better the resources but of course you're going to hoard the resource and the weirder things are um, and in terms of inspiration we're very excited about the world below because it's a brand new game line using a story path system using a story path ultra which is going to be basically like be like a story path 1.5 I okay. suppose uh, streamlined where it's n not purely fantasy, though there will definitely be enough to satisfy D&D &D players and Pathfinder players. But there's Pendragon styles in it, and another Song of Ice and Fire, because you are building communities, generational hierarchies and things like that, working around the world around you. Uh, there is exploration to it, because you're carving out new tunnels, trying to find a new clean source of water, or somewhere that's not inhabited with carnivorous shadows, things like that. Um, and there's exalted elements to it as well because the powers you develop as you adapt to your environment can be pretty explosive, dynamic, and, well, hopefully exciting to use from the very first level. It's one of my big bugbears, not the monster, in role-playing is that first level you feel weak and like your moves have little impact. Everyone picks magic missile, but no one expects magic missile to look good. Mm -hmm. And so in this game, it was very much our intention to make characters feel important and heroic from the very start. So yeah, there's lots of sources, but the world below is something. It's not coming out this year because uh, it's only just got through its first draft phase, but 
we are very much looking forward to seeing how that's received because we've okay. not explored a brand new fantasy game in a very long time. So is that sort of is that uh, a, a world of itself that that's going to be kind of set in? Is that its own kind of idea? For now, For now okay. uh, there may <laughs> be uh, references. I mean, it's an Onyx Path property. It was a Matthew Dawkins concept, uh, uh, but it's an Onyx Path property, and that means, in theory, we can pull the elements from Scarred Lands and from Scion and Trinity, and they came from if we really want to. Okay. A lot of that kind of thing can be easter eggs teasers but some of it may actually be connective tissue okay seeing how well a game lands especially a brand new ip very much dictates what we do to expand it yeah okay fantastic anything else that you can uh hint at for now or uh well we have uh at least three new aberrant uh supplements coming out which will be updating some bringing some of the stuff forward from first edition so uh, hated and feared, which is the uh, Terragen book, but also covering uh, some of the uh, the Nova cults and Nova anti-Nova hate groups, uh, and then of course we have um, from Shadows, which is kind of the directive book, so doing dealing with baseline humans and maybe some talents dealing with uh, providing uh, oversight of these Nova organizations and Nova related threats, and then that's what I do, which is the Elite book, but it also covers some of the other um, no, you know, independent Novas that are making their way through uh, society. Um, and then, of course, we just kick-started uh, Trinity Continuum Aether, which is our 1895 uh, Trinity book, so steampunk with uh, War of the Worlds Martians. And then we have Aegis that's coming up, which yes. is uh, Greek uh, Dark Ages, so uh, 11, you know, 1100, 700 B.C., type of stuff and that's still we just got through uh we just submitted final drafts for that so introducing that mm. sometime in the next year or so ish okay. maybe depending on how kind uh publishing is so yeah fantastic yeah. working on a lot yeah that's awesome <laughs> keep you busy um okay so that's the end of the uh the pre-prepared pre questions um i'm going to throw to the audience in a minute before i do i do have a question myself because i can do that um so <laughs> Hung, uh, you're abusing the power i am a little bit uh, and funnily enough it is about power uh so <laughs> so one thing you mentioned there is obviously you deal with some of your games exalted scion even made to a degree you're dealing with very high-powered characters very high-powered individuals mm. how do you how do you balance that degree of power and giving giving the player the potential to feel like you know they are these gods they are these incredibly powerful characters but still having counters that are relevant and you know that the, there's something to actually challenge them can you answer that from a vampire perspective John? i sure can because i was just thinking about that um i think in essence what you're talking about in terms of balance has to be looked at in the context of what game you're discussing mm -hmm. so vampire in particular immediately came to mind yes you're a really powerful vampire and all that but the balance against that is the further you go down that power track if you want the more powerful you want to become the more of yourself you have to give away in order to achieve that yeah and i mean certainly you can have a game if you want where it's just like your super powered humans that run about and fight crime yeah and that's fine um you know the system can allow that but if that's not what your table wants then to me anyway when the games that are on the balance is always found in yeah you can do that but you know um which is you can be the powerful thing you can have these powers but in a way the essence of that game is how you are handling yourself and part of that is not acting like a god and not believing you're a god and remembering that you were once something else yeah that's my poetic answer okay i like that <laughs> cool um and i've indulged myself a bit uh, I'll, I'll throw to the audience at that point so any questions from the audience we do have a mic that'll be uh thrown around hopefully working yeah it's working cool yeah. uh, so don't, don't throw the mic <laughs> you can pop your hand up if you've got a question and we'll uh, we'll bring the mic over to you and if no one has an rpg related question we'll answer anything <laughs> not necessarily in an informed fashion give it a good college try thank you i'm andrew from geek native um onyx pass i think has always had a, a very symbiotic relationship with drive-through yeah. And I was wondering whether you had any thoughts on their recent, don't call it a merger announcement with Roll20 and the facts of the evolution of the digital side of the hobby. Well, it's something we're pushing more toward. We are, uh, right now, for instance, Kim is working mm -hmm. on a virtual tabletop 
not exclusive, but very much geared uh, scenario for assassins for Trinity Continuum. Uh, there's another one going on for they came from Camp Murder Lake. The you're right. We have a very good relationship with Drive Through. Uh, we I, I can't cite chapter and verse on sales numbers, but I would hazard a guess that we sell a great deal of our material, if not through crowdfunding, through Drive Through. So it stands to reason that we will also create products that take advantage of a service that's linked to Roll Twenty. Therefore, a scenario should come with maps, counters whatever else is needed to make those things work together. Now obviously we're not the only big seller on drive through RPG, so there's going to be a lot of companies doing the same thing, and I'm sure drive through won't give us all their attention, although <laughs> it would be nice <laughs> if they did. Um, so, I mean, you're right. We, we want to see how their relationship develops, because we don't have all of that information yet. The drive through are predictably keeping it quite, quite close to their chest, because I think they're still working through an awful lot of those details. But if it becomes apparent that it would be beneficial to us, and I suspect it will be, to make games that don't just release through drive-through but are automatically available through Roll20 um, with the assets I described and perhaps other features too. I mean, I can already imagine they came from being translated through to it and immediately you've got quick cards, cinematic cards and so forth on a virtual tabletop. It it sounds like a very good thing to me. Uh, so hopefully we can take advantage of that. Fantastic. That was good for you. Cool. Thank you very much. Uh, any other questions? I'm going to make Josh run around today. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Get that Fitbit on. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Hi, guys. I'm James. Um, fan of Mage 20. Yep. Which is still got things coming. It does. Gradually, it's slowly. Well, I mean, the little-known fact of World of Darkness is that Mage is the second biggest seller of World of Darkness. Uh, most yeah. people assume that because of the order of release, it's always Werewolf, but it's Vampire Mage, then Werewolf. So, uh, because we can't make Vampire 20 books anymore, mm. because there's a new edition. Mm. Uh, but we there isn't a new edition of Mage. So, so that's the question. Is, yeah. there, is there much more in the pipeline? And secondly to that, is there plans for a capstone like Beckett's Jihad and the Apocalypse Tales when that well finally That's a very exhausts. good question. I thought that nice. was kind of what Lore of the Traditions was supposed to kind of yeah. wrap up, uh, which is still going through the process because we finished the Kickstarter and then we had the uh, the craft book, which is the Forgotten Ones and for Forbidden Orders. Uh, and we finished the, the final drafts of that, so we're just waiting for art and then editing and stuff like that yeah uh, i mean uh, i wouldn't say it's off the table to do um, some kind of ascension based beckett's jihad diary apocalyptic record uh, that's separate to lore of the traditions in the sense of you know lots of artifacts lots of in character accounts um, i probably wouldn't want to develop it myself because the <laughs> meta plot for mage is way above my head depends which reality you're dealing with. Exactly. Yeah. That. Small stuff. I'd, um, be, I'd be extremely interested in that. Yeah. yeah I think well. it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, as I say, it's a good question. Because there's no Mage 5th edition on the horizon immediately, it's not like we've been given a hard stop by Paradox. Which is why you see new products occasionally being announced. Sorcerer <laughs> recently uh, came out. Oh, right for Mage 20, and has done very well as well. With And I think right now it's still only PDF only. Yes. I don't think we've done the print-on-demand version yet. So... They just did, they just finished the errata yeah. for it, so that should be... So, when we yeah, consider that... Yeah, there's a Victorian that, Mage not far yep. Yep. happening. Yeah, we've got Victorian Mage, we've got more stretch goals for Victorian Mage, I think three of them, Lord of the Traditions, as you say, we've got two mm -hmm. stretch goals for that. So, yeah, that's nearly ten further M20 books to come if they keep selling well I mean I can't speak for Paradox but I would say it would be in their best interest if you're listening Paradox it would be in their <laughs> best interest to invite us to make more books or approve more books for Mage because I mean it, it makes good sense uh, plus uh, Mage the Ascension fans much like Mage the Awakening fans are fanatical on the side of fandom not in a bad way necessarily, but in the way that they they love expanding their game. They love to see more books for it. It is it it's interesting. We work with a lot of games and there are some games that people will 
play and they'll think the core book and the companion that's all I'll ever really need um, World of Darkness especially Mage is a book that the as a game that the fans of it just never seem to stop wanting more <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's good news for us because we like creating them yeah I think the success of um, Technocracy World it mm. and uh, then Victorian Mage then Love the Tradition all the crowdfunding campaign we made the success speaks for itself about how passionate the fans are. Yeah. Or uh, like uh, with Mage the podcast, they were they were doing interviewing us talking about how to use other line books to uh, to supplement Mage games, like some new concepts, new ideas. Like I had a really good uh, interview with Terry Robinson of Mage the podcast, using talking about using Aether as a way to uh, branch off into um, different concepts for Mage play. Yeah. I consider. Uh, Trinity Continuum Ether and Victoria Mage basically unofficial companion books to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, they both approach the subject matter of magic in the Victorian era in a very different way, but that's good. They 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 complement each other. Um, so so yes, I hope so would be the short <laughs> answer, but I don't do short answers. <laughs> it's okay, we've got an hour to fill, so <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Feel free to indulge. We got another question. Yes. Talking about magic, um, what? How can you can you explain a wee bit more about the chaos in the world beneath? Did you say it was called the world below? The world below. Sorry. So I can't confirm too much because <laughs> it is still being written. But the concept is essentially, if the world is riddled with all these tunnels, caves, and catacombs, and the like, and the lower down you go, the weirder things get. At the base of all of that deeper than anyone can reasonably dig except for some people maybe the original people that descended is this well uh, for want of a better word from which this chaos emerges now chaos is all over the place it's dotted in rocks and portals and things like that but it's the source of it all down there and one could imagine through a DD &D prism i guess that this is a portal to another plane it's pretty much the plane of elemental chaos if you like and the people who are surrounding it are taking it, using it to live forever, give themselves power, godly, and so on. And, because we like to put subtext into games, not always subtle, you know, maybe if they shared all this power, of course, everyone in the world below would live in a beautiful underground utopia, and we could all live in perfect harmony. But it turns out that when you have access to the very source of magic, you protect it and guard it and feel disinclined to share so it brings up the um i mean myself i've always historically been very interested in revolutions and i've always liked the idea of well, as a thought process of let's say your adventuring party goes all the way down to the bottom of the world below and seizes the power seizes the tools from the people who are guarding the the well and taking all the power from it do you then keep it do you then try distributing it and in your attempt to distribute it do you try and do so evenly because you know that as you are ascending again people are going to want to take it from you or do you think i would be a more responsible custodian of this power you know these things get explored in fiction all the time uh, there's a movie on netflix the platform which is a spanish sort of dystopian movie that explores a range of different i guess pol political and philosophical ideals about a platform and the lower down it goes basically the worse people get and it's there's some similarities uh, there because no matter what you attempt to apply as as a way of controlling or distributing the power there'll be some people around to abuse it and so right now the people who control the magic could be said to be abusing it they may even be people who try to wrest it from the or originators. But what you do with it, if you access it, it's called chaos for a reason. It's very unpredictable. It's like wild magic in old D&D. You, you don't just use it and say, now I have perfect control over a fireball. No, you have a perfect ability to incinerate everyone around you. Um, not necessarily a good thing, but might be in a pinch. It's very unstable. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> it's like I want to read read one of our samples, but I, I can't read it. 
No, I can't. I can't, I can't uh, unfortunately, read out any parts from the manuscript yet because I need to redline them as the developer. And we uh, need to receive those redlines. Yes, but as a, as a concept, <laughs> that's the idea behind it. Is that instability with the magic, is that something that's actually going to be part of the system as well that players yep. are going to have yep. to contend with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, everyone loves magic that blows up. Yeah, that's going to be popular. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was mentioning lots of sources, lots of origins for the world below, and because I've worked across a lot of games now, all of us have everyone on its path and we've worked with a lot of freelancers it's difficult to not draw inspiration if we want to say that instead of rip off ideas from uh, lots of different sources and we love mage as mentioned mage famously has paradox not the company <laughs> and paradox and it's and it's a, sometimes a frustrating mechanic the idea of if i'm vulgar with my magic it will blow up in my face but at the same time it's a wonderful tempering mechanic and it gets back to your point about how do you balance out high power play well let there be a backlash yeah to to being able to do absolutely everything it doesn't always have to be your health goes down but it can be something more esoteric or more personal yeah um, so yeah, uh, similar in the world below. Uh, yeah, I, love I think there's some element of risk to it all, um, and uh, the harder you push, the you can get uh, miracles done because uh, chaos is, as the name implies, a nexus of possibilities you can exploit. But uh, the, the harder uh, you push, the, ba- the bigger the risk. So there's consequences. It was okay. very much about letting figuring out a way to create powers to make people feel powerful but mm-hmm. still have enough of those consequences but of course the more uh, control you gain over the po- more powerful you get the more control you have the less side effects there are but you have to get to that point you have to not blow up um, I don't think that that's I don't know if that's actually one of the things we had but <laughs> I know in like I've had mage games where there's been paradox backlash and an NPC has exploded uh, so I guess that's very possible in World Below as well. I like how that plays into it. I mean, I've, I've not had sight of these drafts, so I'm the one person up here that probably has no idea about this, but just from what I'm listening about, um, in terms of the chaos, it sounds like it plays heavily into the central sort of philosophical um, complex of the game, which is you could have these people that are all-powerful, but you're standing there with the ultimate power saying, I could set the world to rights, but I actually don't know how, yeah. what yeah. would happen. Mm-hmm. I could try and do that and end up making things worse. So you, you, in a sense... You're all powerful and powerless at the same time. Yeah. yeah, we're not trying to preach or anything with this book. I, I, as a developer, I prefer messages in games and fiction in general to be more subtle and to be found if the player or reader or viewer wants to find them. Uh, so we're not going to say using this is bad. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no point offering people a tool and then saying, but we're going to punish you for using it. Um, but going back to what Kim said right near the start about it's a game of colonization or colonialization it is with a twist that rarely gets explored in games in that you are an exodus you are refugees from a cataclysm of some kind which is somewhat defined yeah um, so you are forced to survive you have to descend now that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get on with the people you're displacing yeah. and they some of them may o- welcome you with open arms and say yes of course you are undergoing a catastrophe right now we'll help you but how long does that charity extend at what point do you start taking power from them they don't think of this as chaos necessarily mm. they've known it all their life yeah. you are the intruders but you don't really have much of an option you well how you conduct yourself is a choice yeah, yeah. we also so. left the option open to basically play people from the various side, the various faction, including those who lived below before the cataclysm above happened. So yeah. we'll offer the tool to explore the drama and uh, all the problems on the narratives that can happen in this from all sides, basically. And it's also really interesting because we include the generational a- aspect you mentioned, sort of inspired for from the dragon, uh, that so you can see in a way what this generation of does, what this <laughs> round of player character do and how their action will impact the future. And so you can have a generation last for 20 sessions or well, one year or, and you can have one work just for some months. 
so you can explore how the world below changes with you. There's also some biology stuff involved. Wh oh. wh why I keep leaning on into the body horror, but it doesn't. Uh, there's just different ways to go about it, but it's not like the driving force. There isn't like uh, you pick this one uh, biological thing, and you have like a universal thing over anybody else. It's just mm -hmm. like, well, if you are this one biome, it's just one part of the character concept. It's just what you are, what you can do physically. It's not just making making you better or worse than anyone else. And a lot of times what happens is really kind of creepy, and which makes me, which, which is fun for me to write. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's just like really cool stuff <coughs> that it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense why you would be able to do that. Um, it's kind of weird, kind of gross, and it's unsettling. And now there's a negative uh, side effect of doing this thing. Yeah. I got to write so many cool monsters and tap into body horror, cosmic horror, and all sorts of so is it as, as you're kind of descending as, as part of the, the narrative and you're getting close to this source of chaos, is that almost, I don't want to say leveling up, but you know, is that kind of... Oh, you can choose how you live. Uh, if you want to descend, you can. If you want to stay in Mudtown near the surface where the stratum around you is clay and everyone drinks rancid water leaping from the surface, you go right ahead. It's... Uh, <laughs> It doesn't, uh, doesn't sound like much so of a choice. <laughs> no, but at least you're not subject to chaotic magic. You know what your suffering is at that point. Um, it's, I would say, like a video game, I guess. Um, the lower down you go, the harder you have to be in order to survive. Yep. Uh, so it has, in a sense, that sort of Dark Souls-esque. Um, there are barriers that you can hurdle if you want, but you may not be ready to face what's on the other side. So there like uh, I think I may have mentioned the outline or in the meetings there's something I like in a lot of JRPGs uh, the open world ones uh, like Octopath one of the recent ones where you can basically choose to delve into parts of the world that you're not ready to fit into yet or ready to beat but that doesn't mean you can't do it and get some high level treasure if you can just measure how much damage you can take if you make a good estimate, you say, okay, I'm spending five minutes on that side of the map. I won't survive longer than five minutes, but you can reap great rewards for doing so. Okay. It's, you know, a s similar mentality to that, I would say. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so any other questions? Yes. I'm liking that all the questions are coming from the middle aisle, by the way. This <laughs> yeah, is making my job very doing, easy. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone on the outside feels I can't. If anyone wants job to sort of clamber <laughs> over some chairs, that would be fine too. Um, so continuing on with the world below, actually, I have a question about player characters. So are there going to be sort of dramatically different uh, types of player characters? Are there going to be magic users and non-magic users? Or is every player character going to have access to this chaos magic? Is, is there a particular thing that sets player characters apart from, from your typical average Joe NPC? Because I'm guessing not everybody in this world has access to exalted level powers no uh, everyone has access to exalted level powers in different avenues i guess um so just like an exalted uh everyone can use chaos at least as currently written i sh i will preface or not preface interrupt to say that um any of this is subject to change it's unlikely it's going to change drastically because it's been fairly tightly developed to this point but the idea is anyone can tap into chaos, it's just the risks are greater if you're not uh, pursuing what is effectively a class focused on it. But that does mean, at a pinch, if you need to throw a thermal detonator to get out of the room and you've got no other option, you've got the capacity to do it, it's just likely it will go up in your hand rather than after you've thrown it. Um, so, But in terms of your playable options, much like other story path games, we will be playing with a path system. Uh, so we have paths in mind that are related to your biology, which is also your geology, uh, your, your profession, effectively, and what was the other one? Culture. <laughs> culture, culture. culture. Yes, because um, one of the things that I'm sure everyone in this room is aware of is a lot of fantasy games are moving away from the idea of race or species as a defining feature, and certainly we wanted to. We want you to still be able to play dwarfs and elves in this game if you want. But you're not defined by the biology of being an elf. Now you may be defined if you choose to be defined by the culture of an elf. If you want elves in your part of the world below to have an ex 
exclusive, you know, traditional, stereotypical, xenophobic, paranoid, elven culture. You could do that if you want, but and there will be tools to allow you to do various things like that. But essentially, each character, I describe it as each character starts off multi-class. You all start with one level in three things. And then you choose which ones you meter up. You could do it in a balanced way. You could hyper-focus on your chaos and just become some bizarre lich archmage if you want, which I'm sure everyone would do because you know, <laughs> that's magic users for you. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of options, but there will be definition to them because on the flip side of that is when you have lots of options, choice paralysis can dilute everything and make everything just lose all, I guess, flavor and appeal. So I know it's a rather rambly answer, but I hope that answers some of what you're looking for. Fantastic, thank you very much. Any other questions? Yes. You might think I've been cheeky having two questions, but I'm like sitting on 20. <laughs> but just, just to follow up with the, that, that comment about racism and the, the fantasy trend, I was thinking that the reaction to one D&D has been mixed. Um, I was wondering whether the, the, the panel had any sort of personal sort of um, resonate, um, sort of sort of agreement with any of those reactions, or whether there's anything that Onyx Path could learn and, and or insights from so the evolution of One D and D and the community reaction. Well, first I'll speak for Onyx Path, and then I'll let the panelists speak for themselves. Um, so Onyx Path, we always pay attention to trends. You have to really, you know, it would be suicide in the industry not to. Uh, so we want to see how things shake out. It would be inappropriate for us to take a company stance, I, I would think, uh, especially as things are still being worked on, and it's a playtest document for another thing. You know, this is none of this is resolved. And one would hope that where there has been backlash, significant backlash, Wizards of the Coast will take advice from that. But it's always an interesting thing uh, when something comes out. I mean, we saw it with V5, you know, and I was on that from the beginning, that sometimes there'll be massive backlash to an idea, and then when it settles down, people realize, actually, this works. So how that comes into being with one D&D, we often see people catch on the train of um, panic or uh, you know reaction, and then cooler heads prevail if you want to put it like that or we actually get to chat about it and realize okay maybe we'll tweak it but it's not something we should all utterly throw so as onyx path yes you're completely right there is something we can learn from this and we will be learning we watch when monty cook releases games when wizards of the coast release games when paizo release games when anyone releases games because we of course want to get it right um and yeah we're all on social media, so we can't really avoid it. <laughs> um, it's where I envy some role-playing game companies that have absolutely zero social media presence. I, <laughs> on some level, I don't know how they do it. How do they find customers? But on the other, God, what peaceful quiet it must be to, uh, to, to work for Freely quietly and uh, just develop a game without any uh, fan reaction. You're not dreading your phone vibrating in the middle of the night and what yeah. it may bring. <laughs> what new scandal has broken out? <laughs> but um, I pass it to the panel for anyone who's aware of what's going on with One D and D to uh, give your personal thoughts. I uh, well, uh, we, uh, we take a look at the uh, what happens with D and D, even if we would rather do our thing because we all know that D and D is the behemoth in the middle of all of us. So we must take a look at that. I think it's an interesting thing to explore because the approach to uh, race and to the, uh, how the discourse has, has evolved over the last few years is uh, something that we did touch upon in um, the game for the circus escape yeah it because uh, being based on fantasy movies from like the 30s to the late 90s you actually have to face against uh, the less savory aspects of those years and all those explorations so on one hand, uh, we I think we did really well in, in that book because um, we were aware that um, some things were to be expected. So we have our version of orcs, uh, uh, we have our goblins, we have our snake people, but we were also aware of the 
plenty of negative association that were uh, those had in the past and uh, also carried in the future. So we try to approach um, the characters you can have from a different aspect. So we have our archetypes in that game, which range from the champion, which is your your Conan or your per Perseus in there. Uh, that, but the look and the, let's say, race, those characters can have, uh, even with the archetypes, which is called the Newman. The Newman, the fact is that it's focused more on the, the proudness of being different. Like, I'd often use an example that Gimli would fit into the Inhuman archetype is because it's very much of I'm a dwarf, I do dwarf things, I'm proud of that. But you can have an orc being a sage, which is our sort of wizard archetype. So from the player character's point of view, we did that and I think it's you intercross the idea of player races with no, it's not about player races, it's about what these characters are. You cut that in the middle in a different and I think fresh way. And we uh, put that effort as well in the antagonist, because uh, we could have just called it a day and say, okay, you have your evil horde of orcs and your uh, stuff that it's to be expected from the, moves, the movies we base this game upon. But we also take a look uh, and we experience and we approve uh, things that are happening as the trope of the evil horde changes. We have uh, examples or in recent recent shows that you can have uh, evil conquering horde where people inside of them, lieutenants have complex lives and are individuals in there that can be redeemed, cannot be redeemed. Yeah. It depends on them and uh, you interact with them. So even our entries about orcs make clear that there's uh, this orc population that half is can be heroes can be villains there's but uh, some people that are concentrated on a cultural shift that makes them often hostile against the others and the serpent people we get into some really old and bad stereotypes there so we twisted things around and we say that there's a a, minori a minority of serpent people that actually consider that the races that came after them are to blame for their decline when their decline just happened because they are so old as often serpent people are in pulp books or stuff so they rather than having them as a secret evil cult uh, that's hidden beneath it all it's it speaks into some of uh, more real and uh, i'd say less problematic uh, sort of villains so we try to put a spin onto uh, everything because uh, uh, we are uh, aware and we live uh, in a world that's moving forward. And uh, I think D&D might have more problems to do deal with that because they are, there are capstones in their identity that uh, they might have... Uh, we did that thing without even thinking twice. We were really proud about what uh, we did with Cypher's Escape. I think D&D might be their process to become the future of D&D might, uh, might require more time. And uh, as things uh, shift into places and uh, the identity of D&D itself uh, decides where it wants to be uh, in relation to some old parts of itself. And ultimately the problem is that there is an established idea of what that is. Mm. And with a new property like Cyclops' Cave, you're not battling against that. You're creating something new. Um, so I have some sympathy with them attempting to balance. We don't want to move away from what makes this D&D to, but we do want to basically evolve the system into something different. So... With it, and as you said earlier, if it had been playtest material, I think they'll probably be looking at this and what's coming back and making tweaks to that. Sure. I so know I've seen some products on uh, GM's Guild where we're talking about breaking away from racial and talking about different ancestries because mm. it, with D&D, like, one of the first things you do is you pick your race based off the modifiers it gives to whatever your class is. So that means that certain uh, species or races are more predispositioned for certain things and fall into the... Uh, Biosensibilities. Yeah, the, the biosensibilities, and then the not-owl drow with our um, our dear 
good dark or good draw. Drizzit's been fighting Drizzit's that good fight for a long time. <laughs> there uh, he is. Yeah. But that was one of the things working on uh, working on Cyclops's cave and stuff like that is like let's not attach it. Anybody can be a champion, like uh, or anybody can be a sage. Uh, the the inhuman and the puppet is more of like the uh, what's controlling them, like. When with the intro fiction, with the, the example archetypes for um, the Inhuman, I used a, a Grilly, um, but he could also he could very easily be a dreamer. He could also very easily be a sage or a champion because he this the backstory I, I, I cooked up for him was that he's a diplomat, like a, his cousins is her, his uncle sent him there to the human kingdoms to negotiate to be a diplomat, and he's been stuck there for for months and it's like it was supposed to be two weeks it's now been three months and it's like oh only a little bit longer and it's just really frustrated with the situation so he's only fighting monsters it is an attempt to get sent back home but it's not working yeah it was actually a really important point to m as i wrote the art notes for cyclops cave uh, i wanted to give an example uh, in the various archetypes of uh, an one of them, uh, uh, some are human, like the champion is a human knight, mm. uh, but I wanted to give an <laughs> a human version of another uh, archetype. So uh, you will find a satyr for the dreamer yeah, archetype, yeah. Mm -hmm. even if it's... Uh, so to make clear that, yes, you have a gorgon as a Arceus plus for the human, but uh, there's nothing stopping you. And we also say that, um, I think you wrote that, in the inhuman archetypes, human can be people of uh, various... Uh, cultures can be in into any archetype, but there's no mechanical uh, support uh, that forces you to do something in that sense. Speaking personally about one D and D or D and D in general, there's lots of D and D archetypes I I like. Uh, I don't necessarily think they should go unchallenged, but I think alignment is a good thing. I honestly think it's a good thing because I think it provides a s guideline for new role players um, as to how to play. Now, should it be a straight jacket, and you, if you are playing lawful good paladin, you've got to play it second edition style, where if you as much as step on a bug, you lose your paladin abilities? No, that's yeah, it's reductive. Yeah. It's all it's people are going to enjoy that. Some people will, but not for me as a game designer or a fan. But I think having tools in a game that tell you this is a good way to play your character uh, is part of the reason why D&D is so successful, because it's archetypal. Yes, it's stereotypical, but if I'm a new role player, I need those familiar building blocks. And how they change that, and this is what's going to be interesting with D&D over time, because D&D tried, they experimented in a wild way with 4th edition, as everyone knows, and it's de rigueur to say, ugh, 4th edition. But 4th edition did some very interesting things. Some of them they did very well. And the main block they came up against was established D&D players who didn't want to change that. It appealed to new players, but it still outsold, you know, every other role-playing game on the market. So, um, well, minus Pathfinder very briefly. Um, when it comes to things like racial modifiers and a character being defined by his race, I have no issue with the idea that, yeah, orcs may have a culture that is destructive or warlike, but they are not biologically directed to be destructive and warlike. It's a cultural thing. If D&D can make that distinction, if they can say in their setting material, they are like this because their lords, their gods, whatever, tell them to be like this. You have the freedom as players to break off, as players always have done. You know, again, Drizzit, it's, it's something of a joke, but it's very appealing. The reason he is still going as a protagonist of novels 30 years later is because people like characters who break the mold. But there's nothing wrong with having a culture that does things that Waterdeep might consider evil. But, yeah, uh, it should be more than just a biological need to go around burning down villages, taking slaves, and, you know, consorting with dark deities. That's just simplistic. Can be fun, 
I'm not denying that. There's a lot of um, OSR fans, and I don't say that in a derisory way because I think OSR has a fantastic, thriving market who want games that harken back to very simple tent poles in a lot of ways. And that's great. But when you're moving a game forward, OSR has its name for a reason. OSR plays old school games, and they want to play them that way. The new additions need to progress in some way. Uh, so hopefully 1D&D will do that. And, you know, I, I want Wizards of the Coast to do well. I want Unhasbro to do well. I want the new edition of D&D to outsell 5th edition. Um, but, yeah, they need to be smart about it. And not just, not, not ignore responses, but not just respond to responses that are the most screamed I guess it's just a case of analysis and working out what's sensible thank you very much that's a good question a lot of discussion there unfortunately that is the last question we can afford <laughs> to take uh, that has brought us to time so I'd just like to say thank you to all the panellists can you have a round of applause for them please thank you very much thank you and if you do want to listen back to that, uh, we will have a recording up on the Unlucky Frog podcast if you want to listen back to what was said today. But uh, thanks for coming and enjoy the rest of your convention, folks. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.